Welcome to the Hudson Wesleyan Church Podcast, a recording of the weekly messages of Pastor Wesley Rowan during the Sunday worship service. We trust the time you spend listening will enhance your relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, here is Pastor Wes. Last week, we had a message entitled simply, Ask. And we focused on the beautiful reality that the Lord invites us to ask of him what we need. And I encouraged you, even even, uh, pushed you, prompted you to be so bold as to ask God to work in ways that maybe you didn't even know you needed. Today, I want to push that idea even farther as we begin this series called Life in the Spirit. There is no doubt that we need God in our lives, that we need to ask of him for his help and his guidance, for him to work in ways that we cannot even begin to understand. But how powerful is it to know that all the while we are asking of God that Jesus, our Lord and Savior, is already asking on your behalf. Last week we said in the text that we read from Matthew, ask and you will receive, or keep on asking and you will receive, keep on uh, knocking and it will be open to you. And we said that that word ask in, in that text was a Greek word that gave the indication that you were asking someone of a higher power to grant you something that only they had the ability to give, okay? Today, John is going to tell us of a different kind of asking. John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17, Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him or know him, but you know him, because he abides with you and will be in you. Jesus said, I am going to ask the Father. So while Jesus tells us to ask, us to seek, us to knock, he also says, I will be asking on your behalf. Now this word ask is a different original word than the word we studied last week. When we ask of God, the word is asking of a superior authority. When Jesus asks the Father, the word indicates someone who is asking a peer or someone who is of equivalent power to themselves to do something. So in order to understand this, this would be a little bit like you going to work, the difference between you asking your boss for something and you asking a coworker for something, Okay. Or maybe even a better glimpse would be the difference between you asking your boss for something and your boss asking one of their peers to do something. In the home, it might be the difference between a child asking a parent and one spouse asking the other. 
This is not Jesus going to the Father and saying, I need to approach you as someone who has authority over me, and I'm hoping that you will grant what I'm asking. This is Jesus going to a second person in the Trinity, to the Father, and saying, it is time. We need to do this now. It is as you have planned. And the Father sends the Spirit, the Comforter, the Helper. We're going to talk about all of those words in the coming weeks. But for today, I just want you to focus on the fact that Jesus is asking the Father on your behalf to give the Spirit. And the account that Elizabeth and Ruby read for us at the outset of the service talks about how in just a matter of moments, it seems, the New Testament church went from being huddled and bottled up and enclosed and scared to being a force to be reckoned with in the city of Jerusalem and indeed then eventually around the world. Before we linger long on that passage, though, I want to take you back to the beginning. Jesus was at the beginning the incarnate word that we see in the body of Jesus Christ was the word from the beginning. But it was not just the Father and the Son who were there in the beginning. The Spirit was there in the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and void, and the Spirit of God was there moving or hovering over the waters. The Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have been acting together on behalf of humanity since the beginning. We move just briefly forward into the book of Genesis and we find that in Genesis chapter 3, that the role of the Father as being the primary connection between his creation and himself is violated. The Father who would come and walk in the garden, maybe even, and theologians will, will speculate about this, perhaps even the wholeness of the Trinity present there in the Garden of Eden. And Adam and Eve chose to go their own way to sin, and severed the relationship that they had with the Father. From that point forward, we see different little glimpses in the Old Testament of the Son, and we see references to the Spirit working in the hearts of God's chosen people, guiding them, but it is primarily the Father that we see as interacting with his now abandoned people. Not that he has abandoned them, but they have abandoned him. We see the Father putting in place a sacrificial system that is going to foreshadow the time when the Son is going to come as the sacrifice. We see the Father speaking through prophets and through judges and sometimes even through kings sometimes even with the power of his own voice, as with to Moses and others, that is going to foreshadow the speaking of the Spirit that is going to eventually come as a byproduct 
product of Jesus coming to earth. I want you to realize something. Jesus did not just come to earth to forgive you of your sins, although that is one of the reasons he came. He came because forgiving you of your sins through his death and subsequent resurrection was going to reopen the lines of communication between a fallen people and the God who had created them, a God that existed in three parts, Father, Son, and Spirit. And so when Jesus dies, does the work of bringing back together or bridging the gap between God and man, it reopens the opportunity for more direct communication, and more direct possession of his people by God himself. And that is what is happening at the end of the Gospels and the beginning of the book of Acts. Why were the disciples, that first chapter of the New Testament church, why are they huddled together in an upper room? Because They had been told by Jesus, wait in Jerusalem and the Father will send the Comforter. I don't want to linger long on that word this morning. As I said, we're going to talk about it in some weeks to come. But I want you just to, for a second, grasp onto the fact that when Jesus refers to the Spirit as the Comforter, the one we have been singing about this morning, the Comforter has come. It is not because all the Holy Spirit does is comfort people. No, it is because Jesus knew that what his followers were going to need And what the Spirit was going to provide was a sense of peace and comfort that could only come from the filling by God himself. They had it when Jesus was there. They walked with him. They listened to him teach. They were comforted by his words. Peace I give you, he said to them. Right? They had that when Jesus was there. But now Jesus has died, been buried, rose again, and now they've watched him go back into heaven. They think he's coming again any day. He hasn't come. They think that the next step is right in front of them. It hasn't happened. What they needed was a comforter, a peace giver, an indweller. They needed Jesus to be back with them, and what they got was even better. Jesus had said there in John chapter 14, I'm going to give you another helper, another part of myself, and he's going to be with you forever. So Jesus did not just come so you could say, oh, I'm a bad person, I need to be forgiven, and I'm going to accept what Jesus has done for me on the cross. Jesus came so that you could have a reconnected relationship with God. And in order to complete that happening, the Holy Spirit had to come. So whatever is going on in your life right now, the good, the bad, the frustrating, the exciting, the uncertain, whatever it is, the sorrow, the rejoicing, whatever it is that's happening in your life right now, it is true that you can be asking God to do things in your life. And you can even be asking God to work in other people's lives or situations that are out of your control. But I want you to know that all the while you are doing that, Jesus Christ himself is standing on the right hand of God the Father Almighty in heaven. And he is petitioning on your behalf. And as he petitions, I believe he is repeating the words that he promised his disciples he was going to repeat 
Father, let's give them more of ourselves. Let's give them more of our desires. Let's give them more of our will. Let's give them more of our power, of our forgiveness. And how is it that the Father and the Son empower you and, and give you forgiveness and grace? How is it that they give you strength and comfort and help? It is because the Holy Spirit of God is here. I wonder sometimes if we don't leave the Holy Spirit out of our religious equations too often. Perhaps that is because we have seen ways in which the, the fanaticism surrounding something as mystical as the Spirit of God has been abused, okay? People have attributed a lot of things to the Holy Spirit that I'm pretty sure he didn't really want his name on down through the centuries of church history. It's true. And I can only really speak for myself, but I, I look at even at my own life and I think, but I wonder if sometimes I can, I can get my mind around a father, God the Father, right? He's the authority, he's the head of the Trinity, okay. I can get my mind around the Son because he came. We have the record of him being with us and dying for our sins. But the Spirit, we, at least I, have a tendency to sort of just think of that, that additional part that we sort of get as part of the equation with God, and then to not linger on him very long. Maybe you're not in that boat this morning. I, I feel that I, I sometimes would err in that direction. But as I began thinking about the Holy Spirit, and I began thinking about why do we need to know exactly what he's up to and what roles he fills and why we need him, why is it so important, I began to think more and more about the fact that the Spirit of God is doing things on our behalf that we are not even aware of. And he is offering more of himself to us as we become more and more aware of how desperate for God we are. If you, as a parent or a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle, had a child that was in need of something, you would probably do just about anything that you could to provide it for that child, wouldn't you? That's kind of how we're wired to think. We shudder in disbelief at people who abuse or neglect those that they could be caring for, right? Listen to this quote from Jesus from Luke chapter 11. If you who are evil, and by evil he didn't just mean bad, but you, you who are human, you who are faulty, that's us, Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And here we see the convergence of the asking that we talked about last week and the asking that Jesus said he was going to do on our behalf. We ask for God to move in us. We're asking our Father. Jesus asks, and even though God the Father is the Father and Jesus is the Son, Jesus asks 
his co-member of the Trinity, to send the Spirit to us. I'm not going to wade into all this today, but let me give you a little bit of a glimpse of where you're going or where we're going with this series. Living life with the Holy Spirit of God at work in us gives us different desires, a different thirst. It gives us a different ability to live the life that we've been called to live. It gives us the ability to forgive. It gives us the ability to see things outside the scope of just what we prefer or what affects us. It helps us to love our enemies. It helps us to be righteous. All of these are things that we are incapable of doing on our own. Do you hear me? You can't do it. The disciples, without the sending of the Spirit, are just huddled in an upper room waiting for something to happen. Do you feel like you're ever in that position in your spiritual life? It's not that you don't want God to move. You're just sort of waiting for him to do it. And you don't know. And it's frustrating and sometimes scary. And life keeps happening all around you. And it's not necessarily happening the way you would draw it up to happen. I want to encourage you this morning that the same thing that Jesus said to his disciples, he is doing for you. I will ask the Father and he will send you the helper, the comforter. Why? Because if you think you know how to take care of your kids and you're just human, how much more is God going to take care of his? There is a power and a comfort and a peace and a calm that we can tap into by having the presence of God's Spirit functioning in our daily lives. You say, well, that's great, Pastor. If we knew how to do that, we'd be already doing it, wouldn't we? Let's start with this point today. Let's only, let's only cover this much of the threshold today. If you want God's Spirit to work in you, you don't have to conjure up a way to get him to move. He is already wanting to work in our hearts. Just like we don't have to convince Jesus to love us, or we don't have to convince the Father to forgive us, we just have to accept it. You don't have to convince the Spirit to be working in your life. So what do we need to do? We need to humble ourselves enough to get out of the way and let him do it. And I, for one, know that that is the point where I most often struggle. I will pray and ask and want God to move and work in my life and to do whatever he's got going on and then very quickly move to doing the things that I think he would probably be in favor of anyway. Because I want to be moving, I want to be acting, I want to be doing. Jesus said, go and wait, and when the Father is ready, he will send the Spirit. So I want you to go out of here this morning knowing that God wants his Spirit to be at work in you. You do not have to convince him that you are worth it, but we do have to get ourselves in the posture, in the position to allow him to do it. The final thing that I want to cover for you this morning is that we notice on the day of Pentecost that when the Holy Spirit showed up, things changed. Things changed. Mentioned last week, tried to dissect on and off for months now, different places that we've seen 
around our country and other parts of the world where God seems to be moving, awakenings seem to be happening. And Carrie and I have been talking, and she's often asked, asked the question, you know, why not us? What, why not? And the answer to that question is, there is no reason why not. I don't know when and how much God wants to move, but I want to be ready when he does it. And I believe wholeheartedly that when he does, and I believe he has begun to move amongst us in the last couple of months, I believe when he does it, things will be noticeably different. Lives will be changed. Relationships will be changed. Families will be changed. Our passions will be changed. Our hearts will be inclined in different directions. Forgiveness will be offered in places where it had been withheld. These are the kinds of things that the Holy Spirit does for us. And so the next four or five weeks, six weeks, we're going to take a, a couple of little breaks during this series because we have our celebration service in there and we have uh, Father's Day in there. And so, but, but more or less for the next month or so, month and a half, we're just going to be talking about what does it look like for the Holy Spirit to do what he does? What is he offering us? How do we work hand in hand with the Spirit of God? And I want to invite you on that journey with us. This message is a ministry of Hudson Wesleyan Church, where our mission is to see lives transformed for the glory of God. For more information, you may contact the church at 517-448-6411 or at hudsonwesleyan.org. Thank you for listening, and may God richly bless you.